Welcome to On Texas Football. I'm Bobby Burton, your host. Uh, I'm joined today for our Saturday conversation with the one and only Paul Wadlington, uh, who's joining us. Uh, Paul, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. You know, I, I'd like to say I'm the one and only Paul Wadlington, but it was pointed out to me once by a girl I was dating who Google searched me early in our relationship that there's a triple homicide guy named Paul Wadlington in Arkansas. Uh, I'm not that guy. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. I did not expect to hear that this morning. Hey, um, let's start. Uh, and we've got two things we want to cover today. Um, one is uh, the idea, a lot of Texas fans, and you and I talked about this before we went on air, a lot of t- Texas fans and recruiting fans in general, bellyache about three-star recruits, low four-star recruits. How come we're not getting the elite of the elite? We want to talk about what that really means based on our vantage points and what we've seen and, and know to be the fact. I mean, I've been covering recruiting for 30 years. You're 20 plus, I think, uh, covering uh, college sports and recruiting and its effect. Um, talk about that. And then uh, the other one I want to talk about is we, we want to take an angle that maybe other people haven't yet and talk about the four new teams joining the Big 12 and their likelihood of disruption of the status quo. So that, that would be Houston, Cincinnati, Central Florida, BYU. Uh, you're going to rank those from a, for us from a least um, disruption likely to a most disruption likely and talk about why you feel uh, that way and, and try to uh, explain that uh, thought process, uh, process to others. But let's start, uh, Paul, uh, with the uh, idea uh, of the three-star, four-star argument, you know, I, I always try to tell people, and, I, and I'd like to get your thought, re- recruitings aren't perfect. They're not science. It's an art. Yes, there is some science from a statistical probability standpoint, but each player is an individual. And there are some inherent flaws in recruiting rankings that uh, the guys that do the recruiting rankings nas- nationally always try to adjust for over time. But there are some leading indicators and problems and issues that they can't adjust for in time. Uh, what All of that to say, I guess, I, I don't wince when Texas takes a three-star. I don't wince when Georgia takes a three-star. I don't wince when USC takes one. I mean, what are your thoughts as a guy that – I've been on the inside when we do recruiting rankings and see how it, it, it evolves and comes together. You're on the outside. You've been on the outside, but a, a astute observer, I would say, during your time. What are your thoughts and how you would try to explain that away to people? So, one, I think you have to appreciate that all staffs tend to keep their own counsel. They have their own opinions about these players. And, and they're not slaves to what 24-7 on three ESPN, etc. thinks about these guys. Uh, those rankings can be useful. Uh, they can be helpful, and, and those coaches certainly talk to those people, uh, as you know, Bobby. But they also keep their own counsel, and they also run their own defense and their own offense. And there are guys who are a four-star fit at Clemson who simply don't fit what they're trying to do at USC. And I know that's hard for people to think because you think, well, a player is a player is a player. Sometimes that's true. If you can get Reggie White, you can just put him somewhere on your defensive line. It doesn't really matter what your defense is. But 
I can tell you, Willie McGinnis, great outside linebacker for the New England Patriots, 6'5", 265, held the edge, you know, wasn't just uh, ears back sprinting after the passer. He never, I don't think he ever had more than eight or nine sacks in a single year in his career, but he was a great edge player within the Patriot system. He's not going to be Derek Thomas if he'd gone to play for the Kansas City Chiefs. And you know what? Derek Thomas, I'm sure would have been very good in New England, but he wouldn't have done a lot of the things that Bill Belichick wants his player to do. So I'm just trying to give people an example of how very good players may not be optimal in different systems. The other factor, Bobby, is no disrespect to the, the rankings and, and the, the industry. Obviously, we were a member of On3 and Inside Texas, and we think On3 does the best job. But if you see a high three-star with an 88 ranking and his offer list is Texas, Georgia, Bama, Clemson, USC. And these aren't just fabricated offers, right? Like these guys who signed fake letters of intent in front of their high school assembly that happens every couple of years. Uh, but these are guys actually getting committable offers and they're making visits. Let's just say that the, the college football coaching world doesn't agree that this is a high three-star. They obviously see something in this player that others don't. You, you mentioned it uh, when we were talking prior to this, and you, you took Jordan Washington uh, as an example, the tight end out of uh, Langham Creek yeah. uh, that uh, is down to Texas and Texas A&M, we believe. But he also has offers from Alabama, Georgia. You, I mean, who, you know, three-star. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't work that way. And I, I also say, I would say this. The problem I also have is people get caught up in numerical rankings way too much than quality rankings. So he's the number 72 player in the country. That means that he, you should take him over the number 73 player in the country. That's not really what that means. Um, and, and I always go back to this. I remember uh, back in the early days, uh, the Fab 55. The Austin American Statesman put out a Fab 55. They were the only top 100 list or top 50 list in the state that was produced by newspapers that actually did numerical rankings. Well, I'll, I'll never forget talking to Randy Rogers at one point, the recruiting coordinator at the University of Texas, and they didn't want five of the top 15. And the newspaper headline was, Texas not going to get, you know, X a number of the top 20, Fab or not, X number of the top Fab 55. Well, Texas wasn't after like 20 of them. Right. And this is at a time even when Texas was not a recruiting juggernaut by any stretch under John Makovic um, in the early days. And so I think that people, like, I feel like there are tiers of quality as opposed to uh, numerical ranking one through 100. And I know people want to equate it to the NFL draft um, because the NFL draft ultimately is, you know, one, two, three, four, five. It's not as good. When I tell you that Georgia has more depth than Texas, it's not because they have more guys in the top 100. It's because they have more guys that are going to be NFL players in general, whether they go in the first round or the seventh or, or even undrafted free agents, right? Yeah, and I think there's another twist on this, which is the classic highly rated guy who Texas backs off of, who Bama backs off of, who Florida backs off of, and then suddenly his recruiting list is 
you know, Ole Miss and, and some schools maybe a step down, right? And, and everyone says, well, what's going on here? We lost this guy or he was committed and he decommitted. Texas hasn't talked to that guy in three weeks. He might have committed early before they got to know him. Then they asked around the high school. They, they talked to some teachers. They talked to some peers. They talked to people in the community. And they realized, ooh, this, this is not a guy who's going to succeed in, in our program or in our city. Uh, and they, they give him the cold shoulder, right? The kid picks up the message, no communication. And then suddenly he opens up his commitment and everyone freaks out. Oh, this, this four-star player, this five-star player is gone. Well, by the end of that cycle, you see this repeat with several other schools, right? And, and suddenly you, you have a recontextualization of how this guy's regarded and it may not have to do with the physical traits. And then, of course, it culminates with halfway through a senior season, he quits the football team or he gets kicked off. Right. And and so I think that's another aspect of this, too, that there is a mental eval. This isn't just the underwear Olympics. This isn't just a bunch of spark scores. Uh, it's also there's a character element. There's a fit element. Uh, there's a maximization element because the hard truth that people don't want to hear is that the distance between the number 71 recruit in the state of Texas at wide receiver isn't so much for the number 11 recruit at wide receiver as people imagine. And if number 71 hits the weight room hard because the knock on him and he's, is he 6'3", 170 pounds, and he's you know incredibly skinny, and all of a sudden he's 210 as a sophomore in college, all those things that were held against him in high school disappear. Uh, or, you know, this is a guy who plays in a 3A school that doesn't have a quarterback. So he has 500 yards receiving as a senior. And he's getting compared to a guy who transferred in to South Lake Carroll. And that guy has 2,100 yards receiving and 29 touchdowns and they won state. Doesn't make that second guy the better recruit. It just means he had a better uh, ecosystem in high school. In general, um, Paul, from what you've seen uh, a year ago, Arch, a year ago Friday, Arch Manning committed to Texas. That was probably the penultimate, or that's going to be the ultimate recruit in the Steve Sarkeesian area, kind of like Chris Sims was for the Mac Brown era, in my opinion. He started that, oh my gosh, this guy can really recruit kind of era for Texas, right? Um, not so much from a recruiting perspective, but from a personnel standpoint, we, you and I have talked about how we like where Texas is going with this. Do you think that you feel like you have enough trust in the Texas staff right now that you can tell they're going after the right type of guys if they are a three-star or a low four-star in your opinion? Do you have that level of trust yet with this staff? Because, I mean, they, they're three years in. We, we've seen enough probably. Your, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I always still try to keep it case by case. I mean – Look, I'll be honest, there was a time period in, in when Mac Brown, even Herman Strong, you'd flip on a tape and you'd just be like, what are we doing? You know, what is this? And then you see a guy like Puna Ford, who I stood up on the table for and said, you know, if he's a three star, I hope we get nothing but three stars. Great. Uh, because he's he was a freakish athlete who was born two inches too short. So therefore, he's not. A, he, I mean, it's this absolutely absurd way to rank a guy who's an absolutely dominant, explosive athlete who plays in a very specific style that fits how he's going to impact a game. You have to be able to project, right? Puna Ford is a burrowing nose tackle, meaning 
He's super explosive. He's quick off the snap. And he's going to burrow into your offensive backfield and just disrupt everything. He's not even going to make the play ultimately, but he's going to eat up two blockers and screw up your, your, your counter play. And then he, your, your back's going to bounce into a linebacker and it's negative one. And, and the, the linebacker gets the celebration, but Puna Ford paused it, right? We tried to play him early in his career, if you remember, as a, as a placeholder, you know, eat, eat up eat up blockers, hold the line of scrimmage guy. And he didn't excel. That's not who he was. They finally let him play the way he can play. And, and he becomes, of course, the first team all Big 12 player, defensive lineman of the year in the Big 12. And he's, what, in his fifth or sixth year in the NFL. So just one example. Uh, but but kind of sorry for the Puna tangent. I love Puna Ford. That's uh, okay. But the trust level, I have it. It's, it's pretty high for me right now because – I can flip on the, the tape and read the larger context of the recruit. And then I understand exactly what they see. It, it makes sense to me. You know, it's one thing to watch an offensive lineman's footage and you kind of go, oh, yeah, he's okay. And then you're, you find out he's 16 years old as a senior and this is his second year of football. And you go, oh, I get it. Okay, I see it. Uh, Jelani McDonald, right? The instant I found out his larger athletic background and I watched his tape as a quarterback, you know, basically just playing the win the game position, I'm like, I'm sold. And people are like, well, I don't know, but he's a pure safety prospect. And it's like, just take the amazing athlete and sort it out in three years. It doesn't yeah. matter. Sometimes recruiting is not that hard. It's not that hard. Yeah. And, and, and I laugh when I, I still read in the industry, not at on three, thank God, but I will still read people God help me, Bobby, writing a recruiting analysis of an edge player from Florida who's six foot four, 205 from rural Florida, clearly uh, no economic means. He's clearly getting maybe a meal and a half a day in his house. And he runs a 4640 and he's off the edge like a freaking greyhound. And they're like, must gain weight to be a college player. <laughs> he's going to be 250. In two years, like this isn't hard. Yeah, it's, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. All right, we're, we're going to move forward. Uh, I think that's a good discussion. I, I'm I'm with you, Paul. Look, I I, I think that the, the staff has earned the uh, benefit of the doubt. I think Steve Sarkeesian has uh, throughout his career, actually, from a uh, talent standpoint, no question. And that uh, before we go to this next part, which is going to be uh, about the four newcomers to the Big Twelve and how you rank those. Uh, based on your research, I want to make sure we say thank you to our sponsor, Gabe Winslow. A big thank you to our friend Gabe, Gabe Winslow, who is no newcomer to any of this. He's been in the industry for 20 years, Bobby, and uh, he's absolutely awesome at what he does. And that industry, of course, is getting loans for you, for your house, whether it's a new house or taking out a refi or existing mortgage to tap into some equity. Gabe is the guy to call. He's really sharp. He's not only a Texas fanatic, a Texas grad. He has a law degree. He's been in the title industry. He's been on the mortgage side. He's been in the industry for over 20 years. He's phenomenal at what he does. He is a problem solver. So no matter how complex you might think your financial situation is, give Gabe a call. And I think you'll be shocked at his ability to work out solutions for you. They're going to serve your interests. 832-557-1095. All right. Uh, thanks. And I actually have had somebody reach out to me and said that Gabe did a great job for him. So I wanted to say that and put a plug in for Gabe myself. All right, I, there's four newcomers to the Big 12, Paul. Houston, Central Florida, BYU, uh, Cincinnati. 
Um, we're going to rank these guys, or you're going to rank these guys for us, from least likely to disrupt the, the pecking order of the Big 12 to most likely. Let's start with least likely. Who do you got? I have the Houston Cougars. I think uh, Houston is going to struggle to a- adapt to the Big 12 and playing basically P5 level opponents every week. Uh, they were eight and five last year. They lost the, the players that really made that team go. And by the way, they were a pretty tenuous eight and five, Bobby. You're talking about a team that was trailing against Rice uh, late in, the, in that game before they, they ended up winning by a touchdown. This is a game that won their bowl game against Louisiana Lafayette by a touchdown, trailing again. They had to come back in the fourth quarter and rally. And they lost the two guys that were really the heartbeat of that team in, in quarterback Clayton Toon and wide receiver Tank Dell. Uh, Tank Dell is just an absolute baller. He was that offense. Clayton Toon was the guy who was the conduit to him. They're going to have to replace them, and I don't think they have clean, clear replacements for them. I also think Houston is just – I think they're a little diminished from what they should be. Uh, they, they really should be, I think, more talented overall as a program given their location and, and what sort of resources they have being located in the city of Houston. Um, I think in terms of mayhem potential – I probably rate them a three out of 10. Uh, some key games for them to look at is they do play TCU early. They actually play them in mid-September. Uh, they do host the Horn Frogs. Houston, uh, you know, TCU could be a little bit vulnerable early just because they've lost NFL, eight NFL players off a team that played for the national title. Uh, Houston does go to Texas Tech. Uh, they also host Texas. I understand some Texas fans are just perpetual pants pissers and they're worried about playing any in-state team where it's at their place. I, I just don't think this game, you know, famous last words of a fool. I just don't think this is a game that Texas fans need to worry about. They do travel to Kansas state. They also travel to Baylor. I just don't see their ability to disrupt anyone because they play the, the, the good teams they play at home, I, I think are much better than they are. And then some teams they could disrupt, like maybe a Tech or a Kansas State. They're playing on the road. I, I just don't see a path forward for them to be much of a disruptor. I'd probably say they're a three out of ten. Got it. I, I will say that Texas fans have may have some PTSD with Donovan Smith, the, the quarterback, right? And so, fair, fair or not, PTSD is a real thing. <laughs> for, for yeah, the fans have a right to have some PTSD after the the Bleacher Gate where they tried to set up some Lincoln log bleachers back and a te- bunch of Texas fans didn't have their tickets honored. I think that's yep. the real uh, stress, but yep. yeah. Right, uh, next team I'm not worried. Now, after Houston. So Houston would be the lowest on that group. What, what would be next for you? So who next be? I have Cincinnati, uh, the Cincinnati Bearcats. Look, they, they are, they are a program, Bobby. I want you to think about some of the coaches who've coached there in the last 20 years. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death 
in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Brian Kelly, Mark D'Antonio, Butch Jones, Tommy Tuberville, and then of course, finally, Luke Fickle. These are, this has been the stepping stone to jobs like Michigan State, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Tennessee. I mean, find me a a more incredible sort of mid-major program that's been a stepping stone. Uh, And then Cincinnati's won a bunch of football games. They went to the freaking playoff in 2022. Uh, And before you think that's just a complete fluke or, you know, people fell in love with the Cinderella story, remember nine Bearcats were drafted off that team. That was third in the NCAA behind uh, Georgia and LSU. So not, not an untalented team that lucked their way in there. Uh, but Luke Fickle saw the writing on the wall at Cincinnati. I think uh, unlike Matt Campbell at Iowa State, he understood timing. He understood how to look at his roster. And he understood that the, the, the bell was tolling for his time at Cincinnati. So he goes to Wisconsin. I think he'll probably do pretty well there. And they replaced him with Scott Satterfield. I don't, if, if you lined up Scott Satterfield with those other coaches, one of these things is not like the other. Okay. He was 25 and 24 at Louisville. He was sub 500 in the ACC, 15 and 18. Uh, I think he was a desperation hire. I don't fault Cincinnati. I just don't think they had good options. And they got, I think they got blinded, I mean, uh, blindsided by Luke Fickle and they scrambled to go grab someone. They've had a lot of losses in the portal, they have had some replacements. Fickle did leave some talent in the program. I think they're going to struggle. Uh, Their upside is really going to be determined by their quarterback, Emory Jones. I don't know if you remember him, Bobby. He was the starter. Florida and uh, Arizona State guy. Florida and Arizona State. Started a full year at Florida. Was very erratic, but very talented. A a true dual threat quarterback now. This guy can run. Uh, Went to Arizona State and was the starter until he got a concussion. He ended up getting benched after that. And now he's trying to, you know, he's 23 years old and he's trying to to salvage one last year of football. He's going to have to be a one-man gang if Cincinnati is going to do anything on offense because they got cleaned out by the portal and by the NFL draft. They lose their top six receivers, Bobby, two of them to the NFL draft. Uh, So he's going to have to be a one-man gang. Here is an interesting thing about their schedule, Bobby, and one thing to know about their personnel They've got two defensive tackles, Jawan Briggs and Dante Corleone. Dante Corleone sounds like a member of uh, like Mob Deep or the Wu-Tang Clan, but it's his real name. Dante Corleone and Jawan Briggs are two outstanding NFL-level defensive tackle prospects for Cincinnati. They play side-by-side, and they, along with Texas, are the clear class of the conference at defensive tackle. So... The reason I bring that up is they host OU early. Uh, I think OU is the better team overall, but OU does have some questions on their interior defensive line and their offense is geared to run the ball inside, right? Run the ball at inside zone and and have Dylan Godbrill go over the top, right? If Cincinnati can thwart that with those two standout defensive tackles and they can play coverage outside on OU, that could be an interesting game. It could be a little mayhem potential. I'm not calling that as an upset, 
I'm just saying it's an interesting game to circle on, on the uh, schedule. Other than that, I don't see a ton of mayhem potential because frankly, Cincinnati doesn't play any relevant teams in the conference race. The only other team they play is Baylor. They skip out on Texas. They skip out on Kansas State. They skip out on Texas Tech. So if I'm assigning a mayhem potential to Cincinnati, probably a four and a half. Got it. All right. Next, between BYUU and UCF, who is next on your list? The BYU Cougars. I think they're uh, closer to Cincinnati than UCF, but I don't want to bury the, the lead on UCF having the most mayhem potential. Uh, here's the thing about BYU. Here's the shorthand for BYU and Kalani Satake. Historically, if BYU has the skill talent, particularly a quarterback, and they've got just enough players who can run. The physicality at BYU typically takes care of itself. If you recruit that many Islanders, you're typically not a soft football team. BYU's fatal flaw typically is, can you run? Can, if you can outrun them, then over four quarters, you're going to hit more big plays than they do. Speaking of PTSD, Texas fans are going to bring up Taysom Hill. Just get over it. By the way, Bobby... Manny Diaz and that Texas defense gave up 349 yards rushing in that first half. I don't know if you remember that. Unfortunately. Okay, well, Keaton Manny Slovis, was fired on the tarmac for Keaton that. Slovis of Pitt fame, of USC fame, uh, who used to be considered an NFL first-round draft pick after an amazing freshman season at USC. Uh, he is now the quarterback at BYU. He's replacing Jaron Hall. Uh, look, bottom line, BYU's mayhem potential is going to rest on Keaton Slovis's ability to relive what he did in 2019. Uh, now he did go to Pitt. They had a bad situation. He was expecting to throw the ball to the Bolitnikoff award winner. That didn't quite materialize because that guy went to USC. Uh, and then he had Pat Narduzzi coordinating the offense, which is not a good thing for any quarterback. Uh, so he struggled at Pitt. I don't fully put that on him, but unless we see the Keaton Slovis from 2019, I think BYU is just going to be an average football team. Uh, do they have some potential to, to rise up, particularly in Provo, and give some people some problems? Yes, they could. I would take a look at when they host Texas Tech uh, in Provo, October 21st. They also host Oklahoma in uh, mid-November, November 18th. Again, I think Tech and OU will be better overall football teams, but if Keaton Slovis is dealing and he's looking like the dude of the past, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think it's a, the, most, the biggest upset in the world for BYU to take down one of those teams and put an L on them. And, so I think there's a mayhem potential of about five out of 10. Okay, and here's the reality of it too, Paul. They come to Austin October 28th. So about midway through the season. Uh, so they'll be who they are at that time, most likely. And so will Texas, most likely. Yeah. We will know who they are. And I think that you will see that speed differential I spoke of. What The issue isn't going to be necessarily BYU's number one cover guy and our number one receiver, because they're actually bringing an FCS All-American from Weber State with their new defensive coordinator. It's number two and number three. Who's covering Xavier Worthy? Who's covering Jordan Whittington? Who's covering Jatavian Sanders? That's where BYU is not going to have answers against the really fast, ultra-talented teams. Got it. 
The last on your list, but actually first from uh, your quote, mayhem potential is Central Florida. Gus Malzahn has been to an, has won a national championship as a head coach, right? Or yes. Yeah. They beat Oregon or no, that was Gene Chizik. He was just the offensive coordinator. I'm sorry. He was the offensive coordinator for Auburn that year. He gets partial credit. Yep. Well, he played for it another year when they lost to Florida State and Jimbo Fisher. Yes. All right. Um, he has a unique offensive style that has been copied by a lot of folks. Uh, he has a returning signal caller, right, uh, that people, a lot of people like. What are your thoughts on UCF and why do you put them? Is, is Malzahn one of the reasons why you put these guys up there like that? Yes. 100%, Bobby. And, you know, I mentioned Scott Satterfield. One of these names is not like the other for former Cincinnati Bearcat coaches, comparing them to Brian Kelly and freaking Fickle. Uh, Gus Malzahn has coached some football now. That guy not only has a 94 and 47 lifetime record coaching in the by God SEC, he's got an SEC title under his belt at Auburn. He's won the SEC West twice. He's beat Alabama three times. Uh, people remember that kick six game, right? That famous game where Bama attempts the field goal, Auburn runs it back and wins the game. Hey, that's great. That wasn't a fluke win. The game was tied. Why was that game tied? Because Auburn put in a rushing offense with crazy motion, with awesome little waggles and intricate plays exploiting Alabama's tendencies. And they averaged 5.7 yards per carry and got 300 yards rushing against a very good Crimson Tide defense. Uh, he outcoached Nick Saban. Make no mistake about it. And Gus Malzahn has a history of coaching up in prestige games. Now, the reason Gus Malzahn frustrates you is he'll also ignore a lesser opponent to steal extra weeks of prep against an Alabama, an LSU, uh, and foist the big upset, and then he'll lose to a two or three law, uh, two or three win South Carolina team, and Auburn fans go insane, right? So Gus Malzahn runs that contrarian offense that you talked about, Bobby. It's run heavy. He's got the perfect signal caller and John Reese Plumley to execute it. John Reese Plumley, if you guys will recall, was actually a starter at Ole Miss as a freshman after they blew it, blew up Ole Miss. Ole Miss has been blown up by NCAA probation so many times, I can't remember. But the last time they were blown up by NCAA probation, John Reese Plumley was the starter and he rushed for a thousand yards on a pretty bad football team. He's an explosive runner, he's an adequate passer. But you don't need to be freaking Peyton Manning to run the Gus Malzahn passing game because the idea is it's so run heavy. It's it sets up a play action shot that you you know that a high schooler should be able to hit. And if John Reese Plumley can improve a little bit as a passer, he keeps that running. Uh, if you look at UCF skill personnel, they're very good, Bobby. They're at least in the top half of the league, if not the top quartile. Okay, they're a lot like Kansas in that regard. Here's also how they're like Kansas. They don't have a defense. They've got a few guys on defense up front. Their secondary is no good. Uh, and then on the offensive line, Malzahn has to scheme that up a little bit, Bobby. He doesn't have those guys who can just crush you at the point of attack. So that's why Malzahn draws up these crazy things where he'll have his running back attack the, the B gap on the right side and you block it that way, but on the left side, they'll actually block it as the play's going left. 
And then the running back is told to run hard right and immediately cut it back. And you'll see the quarterback carry out his fake the opposite direction. And there's a receiver running a jet sweep. And basically, if your safeties and linebackers aren't disciplined, you can just get owned. And the more it happens to you, the more you start to chase ghosts. So suddenly he just runs a simple inside zone play and you have your middle linebacker taking off running after a jet sweeper, right? That's what Gus Malzahn does. Now it's not always consistent. He's not going to be able to to raise UCF's level every week, week by week. And so for that reason, I think there's still more of a disruptor than a true big 12 conference title contender. But of the four new teams, if there is going to be a team that shocks you, that somehow ends up at the Big 12 title game, it would be UCF. But I will say they are going to disrupt. And let me give you some games to circle and look at because these are Gus Malzahn specials now, okay? They uh, play at Kansas State in September. They host Baylor the next week. They're at OU October 21st after a bye. After a bye. OU also gets a buy in that week, but that's coming off of Texas OU. So which of the two teams is more likely to have tried to steal some prep time for that next opponent through the buy? Well, Texas is going to be, OU is going to be all Texas, right? They're not going to be talking UCF till they get to their bye week. If I'm Gus Malzahn and I know that guy and I'm circling one opponent where I want to announce my arrival to the big 12 based on that schedule, I'm running OU stuff in August, Bobby. And I'm going to try to go to Gaylord Stadium and I'm going to foist an upset on OU and announce my arrival. And uh, that's one of the games that I think could be an interesting disruptor. They also later journey to at Texas Tech. That is the game before Texas Tech plays Texas. So don't think that Texas Tech is going to be able to steal any prep time for the Longhorns there because they're going to be trying to dissect the Gus Malzahn offense and that system. Big caveat for UCF. They don't have a ton of depth. And John Reese Plumley is every bit of five foot 11, 195 pounds, their quarterback. So if he gets hurt, UCF is done. Their season's over. Forget about them. If he stays healthy and they're able to gel a little bit and they stay healthy overall, this is a eight out of 10 disruptor. And I promise you, they're going to foist an upset on one of the Big 12 contenders and affect who shows up in that Big 12 title game. Got it. I think that's a good breakdown. I I, I worry, like I think Cincinnati has been decimated by the portal. Yes. Um, Houston, Dana Holgerson, can if, if you don't defend him well, he can run up points and I don't care who his quarterback is. Right? Um, BYU I, I, is a total... I don't know what they really are yet. I can see what you're saying with Gus Malzahn. And Let me say this about Houston, Bobby. They're undisciplined. They're one of the dumbest football teams I watched in 2022. They're one of the dumbest football teams I've ever watched. I'll be honest. They were one of the most penalized teams in the NCAA. And I watched games where Houston literally had five or six holding penalties and shot themselves in the foot, took touchdowns off the board. Uh, and every single one of the penalties was well-earned. This wasn't some weird snow job of Texas playing Oklahoma State. We have 14 penalties and they have zero, right? Uh, this was well-earned. They, You know, you have guys going, two guys going in motion at the same time in, in, the, in the bowl game, 
you know, 13 games into your season, there's something going on at Houston a little deeper than just looking at the roster and their talent and the portal. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they get it fixed. But there's something off at that program, and I think it's going to show up. We'll see. A lot of coaching turnover within the staff. A lot of coaching turnover. A lot of indiscipline. Yep. All right. All right. That's Paul Wadlington of InsideTexas.com. Uh, please join us on InsideTexas.com for discussions like this and more, uh, as well as articles uh, for uh, the very ardent Texas football follower. That's InsideTexas.com. Uh, all right. This is the this has been the Saturday conversation on Texas football. I'm Bobby Burton and Paul Wallington. What Bobby, do you got? One thing. What? This is going to come up on Saturday. I need a hard prediction over under. Texas signees, Texas commitments by Tuesday of next week. I need you to set the over/under. I'd say, I'd say two and a half. I'm taking the over. Okay, by Tuesday, I'll, I'll, I'll. Look, we've been talking about this. I think it could be as low as one and as many as four. So that's that's where I'm at on it. I'm gonna put my ceiling at five. What do you wow. think about that? Wow. It's pretty strong. A lot of these guys are not are waiting to announce until um, uh, July, and they've got visits or they've got uh, things set. I, I just don't know, to be All honest. Right, well, if I'm wrong, I'm going to count a couple of silence, just so you know. All right, there you go. All right. For Paul, I'm Bobby. This has been On Texas Football.